You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you're here this morning. And if you can, please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back. And I would love for you to to grab one. Um, and and today I'm I'm excited to spend this time with you. Uh, to look at God's word. So Luke 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Before we begin, once again, I'd like to take a moment to continue to recite our TFC family monthly memory verse that I know every one of you have been memorizing um, and meditating upon, right? <clears throat> yes, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And yesterday I was at uh, a birthday party and uh, I think it was uh, Dickie Lyons, he put someone on the spot and said, can you do it? And so you better watch out because I'm coming after all of you right after this. On the way out, that'll be your toll to get out the door. Um, I, I really do hope that you've been meditating on it, that you've been understanding things about it as you've been meditating on it. Um, when you meditate on scripture, because God is unsearchable in his ways, that's why texts are difficult and multi-layered, multi-faceted. You could read texts over and over and over again and still see more truths in them. Uh, just because God is, is, is so unsearchable that you, you will grow as you look at texts over and over and over again. I mean, that's why God uh, continues to work through the scriptures even after you've read them. And so I hope that they're impacting your heart and that you're specifically applying them to your life as you live, especially this one. So for this month, the month of October, we have been memorizing Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, okay? And it says, and you guys can read it on the screen, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other, one another, I'm sorry, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's say it one more time. You ready? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, if we meditate on 12 verses over the course of a year, um, imagine what that will do for a lifetime, right? If we do that for a lifetime. And, uh, and so let me just give you, I, I want to spend a few minutes here with this. Um, what I've been doing personally with, with these verses I've, is I've been taking a little bit at a time, as I told you last week, for example. Last week I was reciting and meditating upon in my everyday life the first part of this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, Right? And as an example to you, God convicted me that my relationship with his church is not so much about what I need, 
and what I get, as much as it is about what others need and what others get, right? What I can give, right? That's what the local church is supposed to be. It's not a consumer mentality, it's a, it's a contributor. Imagine in Acts chapter two, where all of them are gathered around living life together, encouraging one another in the Lord. That's what the picture was. Never necessarily meant to be, um, we'll just go and hear from the guy and then we'll, we'll leave, right? This is a faith, a faith family. Um, although there are particular teachers and um, ones who guide us, shepherds, as I'm gonna explain in a minute. So this passage, the church, is, is about love. It's about, it's about how I can help others to become more like Christ. Let that be what I consider. As I go in to meet with the church, how do I stir others up to love and good works? You should ask yourself as you come in, how do I need to serve these people? Right? How, well, who do I need to help grow? Who can I encourage? What about this person? That person really needs to grow. No, I'm just, just kidding. But facilitating others' sanctification in God, sanctification in God, and satisfaction in God. Helping others get to that place. That's the most important act of love that you can give, right? So this week, I've been meditating upon the second part, uh, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of, of some. And by way of example, I, I want to take a few minutes on this as well. From this, God is teaching me the importance of regularly gathering with my church family, especially my church members uh, in corporate worship. Um, I don't want to be a person who toes the line, right, as well as does the bare minimum in regards to meeting with my church members. That's how I'm going to become a sheep who's picked off by wolves, right? That's how it works. I don't want to see how close to the line of isolation I can get in my own Christian life to see how close I can get to just isolating myself and merely surviving, right? That's, that's, that is, that's dangerous, and the very foundation of this verse helps me to see at the very least that I need to be meeting regularly with other believers in worship to hear God's word. It's vital. It's vital for my, in our, fruitfulness. This should say to you, Christian, especially member, because I do want to take a few moments on this. My job is to teach you, right, what the scriptures say. And so I just constantly want to be doing that. Um, by the way, when, we, when I speak of this, I, I, I'm primarily thinking about um, our members, okay? To the rest, I, we are so glad you're here. I, honestly, like with all my heart, we're glad you're here. But just to give you a biblical perspective, right? I'm glad you're here witnessing, listening, observing, learning. You should be. But your goal should be to make a covenantal commitment to a faith family, right? You won't grow without it. You just won't. Unless you, like, you know how in marriages, they just grow us because there's no leaving, so we're staying and we're growing no matter what, right? That's how church, that's how the church works. You make a, a commitment to a people so that when, man, I don't really like them right now. They didn't do what I wanted, right? They said this to me, you, you got to grow, Right? If it's a healthy church, you're not leaving, so i got to grow. That's my only option. Right? You won't grow without it. So I am charged before God 
as God, as God charges me and I'm held accountable, I'm charged to equip those who are literally entrusted into my care, right? That's who I'll be held accountable to before the Lord. First Peter 5, 2, you'll see it on the screen. It says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. This is the flock that literally, here's what it means, has been entrusted to you, okay? So here's, here's a position and a, and a help for church membership. I can't ultimately held, be held accountable for every soul that walks in that door, right? Uh, whoever comes in and out of these doors and services. So who am I accountable for? I'm accountable for those who God has entrusted to my care. Same with Pastor Chad and our elders. This is evidence for church membership. When it says in the scriptures, right, um, you're gonna be held accountable for your flock, those who have been entrusted to your care. That can't possibly mean the, every believer on the face of the planet, right? I would lose that accountability uh, battle there, right? But for those who have committed to this faith family underneath this. Now, let me tell you about you for a moment, right? You as the flock are are held accountable by the scriptures to submit to be shepherded by elders in the church, right? Here's one of them, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be a no advantage to you. So don't make it hard on me, all right? Because then it would be no advantage to you, really. Your call then can't be to submit to every elder, every shepherd on the face of the planet, right? It can't be. That, would be. that wouldn't make any sense. So it must be to be shepherded by and submit to your particular elder shepherd in your faith family, right? Does this make sense? So more evidence for church membership. Now, so the reality is for the accountability of the flock, the accountability of the elders, it underlines evidences for you to commit to a faith family, right? That has been in, uh, that's been entrusted to the leader and you who commit to it. David Platt says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, that's one word in the original language. It's essentially meaning take care of the flock. The meaning here is crystal clear and quite simple actually. God has entrusted certain people to you and me as pastors to care for them, he says. Yet if we're not careful as pastors, we can easily look past our people, can't we? Instead, we are not content with the congregation that God has given us and entrusted to us. We, we start to look past the congregation. So that's what I don't want to do. I want to look to you. Now, it's a part of my job. I want to just teach this to you, to equip you. That's primarily my particular role, right? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. doesn't mean that we don't back in the lost world to come in. But the primary role of the pastor is to equip the saints that's been entrusted to his care for the work of the ministry. What that means is, as you share the gospel, you share your faith, you say to, to, to lost people in our community, come be a part of this, come be a part of Christ, come be a part of this, come be a part of Christ, right? As you do that, um, you are fulfilling the work of the ministry. As you uh, serve in, in children, as you serve in students, as you uh, bring food for a potluck, as you do all of these things, but primarily as you're equipped to understand the word and share your faith, you're being equipped for the work of the ministry. Now, my role is to equip you. This is how our roles differ. Your role 
is to do the work of the ministry, right? That's how this works in Ephesians chapter four. Look at this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body. So again, you know how like in a marriage, husband, wife, equal in value, different in roles and responsibilities, right? And so therefore, the same is true here. A lot can be compared to the marriage, especially through with Christ in, his, in the church, right? The same here, equal in value, you and I before God are in no different position of value, right? Um, but different in roles and responsibilities. So our main job is to equip you for the work of, of the ministry. You're the ones who do the ministry. My role is to equip because someone's got to teach, right? And, um, and so with this being in mind, you can see an example, Acts chapter six, verses two through four. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Not meaning that that was less, it's meaning that the roles were different. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, right? These are the type of people that need to serve tables. They must be full of the spirit and of wisdom, right? And we're gonna appoint them this duty, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. So, Long detour, just like Jesus kind of taking a long route to, through, right, on the way to Jerusalem. Um, back to our memory verse. When I read this, I say to myself, I'm thinking for our flock. I'm thinking about those who have committed to this faith family. I'm committed, the ones who are, I'm who have been entrusted to me that I'm called the shepherd, right, and oversee. As, as you're the under-shepherd under Christ. For you, don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Don't be in the some, right? Don't be in that. Commit to this body. And if you're not, commit to a body, a healthy one, right? And be regular, because Satan will pick you off. You might not see it that way, but bitterness will start to creep in or lack of spirituality will start to creep in or wrong decisions will start to creep in or other priorities will start to creep in. And you might not even see it, but Satan's doing his work in your heart, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. This means, church, as your pastor, don't miss church every other week. Don't make that your habit. Just don't. Don't make that a habit of your family. I tell you this with love and encouragement because I got this verse here. I got I to encourage you with it. It means it's not good for you. It's not obedience. It's not evidence of true discipleship. And help others around you not to do that. I, I, it's been a habit here on the North Shore that that's what church going is. I see it all the time. We go every other week and then we'll watch from afar. Don't do that. That's not normal. Like, it might be normal here. That's not normal in Christianity, right? It's only normal here in this microcosm that we see, that we're living in. It's not normal. And if you, you should, 1 John is, the, is a book about evidences of being a true believer. The whole book 
is evidences of being a true believer. And one of those items is longing to love your faith family. And if you don't have that, you should be concerned. So don't have a consumer mentality about the local church. It's, it's not normal for Christians to miss every other week for sports games, for weekend trips, for weekend plans. I know the culture normalizes that. But don't buy into the American culture of Christianity. Don't buy into that, right? It just means that you're more American than Christian, right? It will only mean that priorities have penetrated your heart and it's more important than being with your faith family, learning and growing. Isn't it weird how, I don't know if, you, if you're like this, but when you, um, you start to look at the world, maybe you're, you're on a vacation, you don't have a ton of time to spend time in God's word, or maybe you're, you're at a restaurant or you're out with friends, et cetera. You start to, to look at the world and things that you think about, like godly things, like attending church, et cetera, et cetera, they start to become extreme, right? Or like, okay, you know, that's, I can, I can kind of uh, uh, treat that loosely, right? It, because they begin to become normal, that, those, that, that the, world, the world's things become normal, those things kind of start to become extreme. But then when you're like in God's word, you're in the spirit, you're with other believers, you're hearing God's word preached, you're worshiping, etc. Like those things don't become extreme, they actually start to become normal. It's, it's like wherever your mind is fixed upon, um, that will determine whether or not uh, you view this in, in God's eyes or you view this in the eyes of the world. So know that there are families all over the world right now who are persecuted for their faith and who are fighting to bring their whole family into worship. They'll sit by the windows and listen through the bars of the windows if they need to, right? Because nothing will stop them. Just to hear the preaching of God's word, they're desperate for God. And always remember, last thing I'll say about this, always remember, you who are mature Christians or view yourself as mature Christians, and I watch this all the time, you're hurting others who look at your life and your pattern, right? If we're, if, if we're inconsistent in following Christ, especially being in his church, there are other people watching you who are less mature in their faith. And they're saying, well, if they do it and they claim to be Christians or they've been Christians for a while, then I guess it's okay with me, right? I guess it's okay for me to do it. Or... Let me just encourage you, if you neglect to support your, your church, like triumph, champion your church, but you do champion like online videos, podcast preachers, which are great to listen to, right? Rather than your own particular church family, you kind of become like a celebrity supporting Christian, right? Like that's who I champion, even though they say the same things as our church is saying, right? I like support them more than I support anyone else because they're famous, you know what you're teaching the, the younger, mature, immature believers who are watching you? You're saying the local church is not important. And, and it's gonna, it, I say all this because it's, I'm watching this on the North Shore and it's, and it's gonna cause the demise of many Christians. It really is. And so let me encourage you, d- just be committed to your church, to your people, right? This is what we are called to do. And you're going to be examples, especially to your own children, right? They're going to see how you treat the local church. So I'm speaking to our flock. Um, The assumption when I maybe say this stuff is like, 
He's seen something. He's got something for us, right? Or it's for him. It's not for me. It's for you, right? And I've seen it just in general in Christianity, but I want to encourage you in this, okay? So you and God decide the rest, but that's what it says. So let's go back to it one more time. Not neglecting to meet together. I don't know if you can, Devin. Okay. Let's repeat that, and maybe you work on this part this week. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. One more time. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Don't be part of the what? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, today we're going to continue in Luke chapter 11. And Jesus is really going to begin to teach his disciples how to pray. Okay? That's what this section is about. And he's going to teach us how to pray um, in an incredibly practical way. And these passages on the journey to Jerusalem have been incredibly practical, as I told you that they would be, remember? And uh, remember before this journey started, Luke spent a lot of time um, telling us uh, what, who Jesus was, that Jesus and Luke were establishing that Jesus, he himself is God's Christ. Furthermore, that he's going to be rejected, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to be raised. That's what we're establishing in this first part of Luke. And then we start with this journey to Jerusalem. Now, after the journey to Jerusalem, once he enters into Jerusalem during the triumphal entry, we'll move into the portion of the ministry where he is rejected. He does die. He is suffering, and he will be raised, right? He's, he's raised in that portion. But now, since his Messiahship has been established, right, and the disciples have believed in him, he's traveling with his disciples and teaching them to be like him. It's like if you would believe in Jesus, you have established in your own heart that Jesus is the Christ, and now he's teaching you how to follow him very practically, right? That's the portion of this that we're in. Teaching them how to know God, to follow God's ways, to transform the world for his glory. He's equipping them to do the work of the ministry. So along the journey, He's been teaching them very practical things, um, and, uh, and we've seen these, and, and hopefully these have been practical things that will change you forever, but today Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. Here's what they're asking him very plainly. They're saying, Lord, teach us to pray, right? It would be like you asking that question of God and, and him saying, okay, here's how you do it. Very straightforward. This is incredibly practical instruction. And by the way, I do encourage you to go back and listen to last week because it's one that will help you understand this, mini, this six weeks mini series on, on prayer. Um, as I mentioned last week, some of you may feel like you don't know how to pray, right? I don't know if you feel like that or not, but you might say to yourself, I'm not very good at prayer or I don't know how to do it. What do I do, right? I don't know, I don't know how to do this. And you could take heart because these disciples who are in Scripture with Jesus didn't know how to do what? Pray. That's why they're asking them, him. And you'll see in a moment, right? They witness Jesus praying. They watch Jesus praying. They hear Jesus praying. And they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. Or maybe many of us watch other Christians pray. And you hear them pray. And you wish yourself that you knew how to pray as well. Um, as I said, maybe many of us don't pray because there's busyness. Or maybe we live a life of self-reliance. Or maybe we, um, maybe we have lack of planning or an unawareness of our true need for God at every moment. 
Um, for example, maybe we don't see our Christian life as knowing and loving and being close to God, and so we have no reason to pray to, to be close to God, right? Um, so we need to pray because we need to have intimate fellowship with God, express our love for him, our desire for him, our desire to glorify him and to be taught by him and to ask of him. So maybe you don't pray because you don't, um, you don't plan to pray. I wanted to say this today. And you'll soon find out if you don't plan to pray, spontaneity in prayer is not true freedom, right? It actually leads to frustration, right? It, because you won't end up praying. You'll, end, you'll make it to the end of the day saying, I plan to pray at some point and I never did it, right? Um, which means you lived your whole day, by the way, in self-reliance. The whole day. That's dangerous. You know, you used to go to Starbucks, and uh, we used to, before the, before the virus, I guess. And I used to watch all these important people having all these important conversations. And I just wondered, I just wondered. I wondered if, I wonder if any of them um, are having any conversations that will last into eternity. And I wonder if any of them prayed before they got here and asked for wisdom from God. I just wonder. Or will all these days just be a waste? Like a piece of paper that's just burned up and just eventually is nothing. You know? Like, I wonder. I wonder. And I wonder if our days are like that. Be wasting them. Just waste them. You know, they won't, they won't produce anything of eternal value. Um, so, so maybe we don't pray because we don't plan to, but we need to pray and express our needs to God. We need to talk with God. We need to express our hearts to God. If not, we'll forfeit this opportunity. So during this passage, Jesus teaching us how to pray. If you remember, there's three sections to this. And we're going to pray and read it. The disciples request to learn how to pray. Um, the title, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, and uh, yeah, here we have the request right? Um, that was last week. We then we'll talk about seven important aspects of prayer. Jesus will give them not an exact prayer to pray in this prayer. It's not a prayer that must be repeated um, every time you pray. It's not a sort of fix-all good luck charm, right, in this Lord's Prayer, as maybe some religions have used, used it. We don't recite it mindlessly, but these are categories. These are elements. These are aspects of relating to him, um, that should be common, not all at once, but they can be. It's a structure, right? As I mentioned last week, they're like seeds that flower. Like if you were to take one of these categories and, and put it in the ground of your prayer life, and then it begins to blossom, and you begin to say other things uh, or surrounding that one particular uh, topic or, or category, right? And so you got to understand what's happening here, because you might say, well, how do we see that? Well, Listen, Jesus's prayers are not, they're probably not like, there's this uh, a rigid structure to them. But Jesus is doing a lot of things in his prayer. And the disciples are watching. And they're saying, what in the world are you doing? Right? And so now as he's dividing this up, he's creating categories for them so that they can understand what he's doing. Right? And so we see... That he says, like, for instance, Father. Well, you can see throughout the scriptures that his fav favorite designation for God is Father, 
right? So he wants to isolate that and say, here's what I'm doing first. I'm relating to God as my father, right? And like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, we saw that. Okay, so we'll do the same thing, right? So this is what he's doing. Now, number three in our, in our passages, he's going to show us the motivation um, to pray. He's going to tell us uh, that the Lord has eagerness to hear prayers. Um, he's certain to answer prayers, and the best comes to those who pray, right? That's going to be in that last section. So I've entitled this particular message, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, and we're going to be covering the one aspect, Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. I chose to do it this way because we got seven categories in four weeks. So that means one of the weeks I get to take one, and I think it's important to isolate this first one. Um, and so we're going to be covering Our Father. We we covered the request last week. Today, we'll be talking about how Jesus, when he teaches you to pray, wants you to say, our Father in heaven, or talk to him as Father, okay? So this is very easy, very practical. This week, as you move forward in your praying, you say, this is how I'm going to change my prayer life. I'm going to talk to God as, as Father, right? Okay, so let's pray. Um, and then we're going to uh, read this and talk about this first aspect, which I think will be very helpful for you. Okay, Father, feels like we've done a lot already. I, I pray that you would now help us as we look at this particular text. There's no point to rush. Again, any scripture that we get to um, will help us with whatever passage is in front of us. And this is our passage now. And so I, I pray that you would teach us how to pray. I pray that you would teach this church. I pray that this would be a praying church. I pray that these people in front of me, our people, would, would pray. I pray even as we talked about earlier that you would teach, teach our people to commit to a faith family. And at the same time, I pray that you would, you would teach them now how to pray. Let them be people who go throughout this week in constant prayer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. That's where we're reading, okay? Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And we covered one last week. We're going to cover uh, half of verse 2 this week. Okay, here we go. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, look how easy and simple this is, right? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Here's the motivation section. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine is, has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed, uh, are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will uh, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is wonderful. Remember, um, this is a different account than Matthew's. It's fitting as is the pattern. He's teaching them not to pray like the Pharisees, but to pray like him. Earlier, uh, we see Matthew talk about this. In, uh, in his sermon on the in Jesus's sermon on the mount that was undoubtedly in Galilee. This here is, uh, is much later, uh, months later, and it's in Judea. Um, the uh, Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they, what they taught was that you can't have access to God uh, except for the high priest. Uh, in the Day of Atonement, once a year, and after very much preparation, you could enter into the Holy of Holies and you could talk with God, right? Um, but that was extremely exaggerated in Jesus's day. So the, so the religious leaders are teaching the Jews how to pray in a very, um, a very different way. You have to be far off. You, you have to go through us, et cetera, et cetera. But as the disciples are watching and hearing and seeing Jesus pray, they say, this is different, right? We've never seen someone talk to God like this. So now this passage, we can take note of a couple of things. Look how the question prompts the whole passage, right? Lord, teach us to pray, then the whole passage. What does that tell us? It tells us that the whole passage is answering that particular question, right? And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's teaching them how to pray, how to pray like Jesus, how to pray in the spirit. Um, This is how Jesus prayed, right? Some of the things on the onset that we see um, that are just good for us to note. Um, This is unselfish. Okay, this prayer, this is unselfish. As you look at the elements of this prayer, it's on behalf of a community. It's for a covenant people. It's collective. Uh, All the the pronouns are plural, right? Our, us, we. So it's unselfish. It's collective. Uh, There's an element of perseverance here. It's a continual thing. There's an element of humility here. God's in charge, right? We need him. There's elements of uh, that this is driven by scripture, by the information about who God is and who we are and the truth. There's elements of our need here. This glorifies God. So there's some big elements here. Now, again, this is a structure, a skeleton that you would hang your prayers on, categories, elements for all of our prayers. Jesus is praying different than the rabbis and the gent than the Gentiles and the Pharisees, and he's teaching them what comprises our prayers. So these are, these are categories that you should have in mind. Now, notice also there's spatial uh, recognition here, God being above, beside, underneath, within, right? There's relational elements here, God being father, king, provider, protector, savior, right? There's textual information here supported by information, truth about God and his word. Notice also that it begins and ends with the glory of God and everything in between is focused on God, right? And so this is our prayers should be focused not mainly upon us, but upon upon God, because he's the one who who um, 
answers and provides. So prayer is not an attempt to bend the will of God, demand from God, uh, speak things into existence. Uh, This is a time that we submit to the love and sovereignty of God, and we entrust ourselves uh, to him. And so uh, this is uh, extremely helpful. It covers all of our spiritual needs, all of our godly aspirations, all of our earthly needs. And we see the first element in this passage that we're covering today, and it's prayer seed number one. I'm calling these prayer seeds to keep with that uh, illustration, just that this should be a seed that then begins to blossom as you speak each one of these uh, in prayer. So our Father in heaven, that's the category that we're that we're covering uh, today, our Father in heaven. Now, read the text with me. Verse two, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. God is called Father 65 times in the Synoptic Gospels. He's called Father 100 times in the book of John. Something has happened at this point, and especially for us, to bring us near to God. Namely, Christ has come to earth, right? And he's opened up what is called this filial relationship among us, right? Family relationship and a parental relationship with God and his children. The Greek here is pater. The Jews use the Aramaic, and you guys will know this, Abba, right? When you pray, start out this way. This is what Jesus is saying, right? When you pray, start out this way. They're saying, we're seeing you do all these things. What are you doing? And he's like, if you were like, say like, I don't know what kind of like workout you're doing or for instance, and then You start dividing up each motion, each step, right? So they can see, oh, yeah, you do this and you do that and then you do this and then you do that, right? It's this is what he's doing here, right? This is what he's doing. He's saying, you're watching my prayers and I know you're confused, but let me take each of these elements and notice first that I'm relating to God as as father. So this is what he's saying. When you pray, start out this way. Daddy, Papa, literally. In the, in the Aramaic, Abba, Daddy, Papa, start out this way. Daddy, Papa. This is still used in Hebrew-speaking families. It's a term of tender af- affection, of family love, right? The rabbis used to say that this would be the first words out of a child's mouth. So Jesus starts with addressing God this way, a way the Jews really didn't. Collectively, maybe, but not as individuals. And they start out by saying, when you, listen how, listen to this. When you get ready to approach the God, the creator, the sovereign, the holy one of the entire universe, Christian, start out this way. Daddy. Right? Like, that's what Jesus is saying here. To the Jews, this is incredibly, like, presumptuous. You know, but it's not presumptuous. Jesus is even saying in Matthew seven and here later in the passage, which which one of you who being a child asks of his father and his father gives him the opposite. Think about then your dad who is in heaven. Right. This is amazing reality. Through Christ, you approach God as your dad. 
Now, you can notice from this, he's not unable to feel. He's not far off. He's not indifferent. He's not abandoning you. He's not leaving you. He's not abusing you. He's the perfect father, right? He's not like your imperfect fathers that you've had on earth. It settles the matter. You're not alone. You have hope. You have leadership. You have care. Some of you wish that you could get on the phone and call your father and have a normal conversation. Maybe he's gone or maybe it's just you, you got to hang up the phone in five minutes because it's so frustrating in the way that he in the way that he's out out of t- touch with reality because of the way he treats you and your children and right this is a dad that you can call on any time at any place and in any way he's a perfect father you're not lost in a crowd of people Remember the story of the loving father in Luke chapter 15. The main focus of the prodigal son is is on the father. And he comes back from running away from the father. And he says, at least just make me one of your hired servants. Right? And what does the father say? I'm not having any of that. Put on the robe. Let's kill the the cows. Let's put a ring on, on your finger. My son has returned. You're a son, you're a daughter, the father's arms are open to you, right? I mean, I think about my, my thought of, of just dad life, and you guys know this for your own self. I mean, how much do you love your kids? How much do you sometimes just sit, right? I just sometimes sit and I watch all three of them interacting. I'm just, you know, they don't even know you're watching them. And you just sit and you're just amazed. You, you're in love with them. You do anything for them. You know, you, you would help them in any way necessary. You want to discipline them when it requires it because you want them to not experience the same destruction that you experienced from your own sin growing up. Right? You want them to know and love and follow God. But your heart towards them, the posture of your heart towards them is love. All prayer begins like this. Not only this, but he's got unlimited resources. He's truly the coolest dad in the world. (laughs) Right? So next is going to come this part of hallowed be your name that we're going to get to next week lest we compromise any truth about who he is, what kind of father he is. He is a holy one. He is, a, he is right. He's the king, right? But, so he's, we, we want to make sure that we don't say, hey, he's this kind of father because I want him to be lenient or just overlook things or give me whatever I want, right? Some of us are like brat, brats to him, right? All right, we're spoiled rotten. Um, but I, th- I think it's important that we spend today just on this without um, qualifying 
this, right? He's your father if you are in Christ. We're going to take some time on this. Luke records it. Look at verse 2. In response to their request, he says, and he said to them, now notice this. Look at the text with me. Notice this. Remember when I told you last week, one of the disciples asked, but when we see there's no name, um, it usually represents a whole. If we're not particularly shown the name of the disciple because he wants to emphasize something about that particular disciple. As I mentioned, when he's nameless in Luke's gospel, one serves as a representative of the whole. So Jesus is not teaching one to pray, even though only one asks. He's teaching all of them to pray, right? It says, and he, and he said to them, not he said to the one who he asked. So all of them are learning, just like we are right now. And when you pray, say, He's literally saying, whenever you pray, say, so a present subjunctive. And this is from the word lego in the broadest sense. So don't repeat, but these are the terms. When you say, now this should be a launching pad. And this first term is father. When Matthew recites it, Matthew chapter six, he says, when he starts the prayer, he says, pray then like this. Matthew 6, 9. I think we got it on the screen. There you go. Pray then like this, right? So this is how he starts it there. And then he sets up this pattern and he begins this first pattern with when you pray, say, and he starts father. Now, here's what I want you to see. Luke's abbreviated version of this prayer is so helpful. God is so wise. Why? Because when we see Luke's abbreviated version, we understand the essential portion of this first element or aspect, right? What Luke doesn't leave out must be essential. Understand that? So if Matthew's account is longer, what Luke doesn't leave out in this first category must be essential. So what's essential? Father, right? Matthew gives us our Father in heaven. But the essential aspect of that category, that element, is Father, meaning our and in heaven supports that, okay? So meaning when we pray, we should start out with God as Father. Listen, you should call God Father. You should recognize God as your Father. You should treat him like a Father. You should ask God like he's your Father. You should believe God's heart like he's our Father. Think of ourselves as children. We seek him like a child. We request from him like we are his children. Not throwing a tantrum, right? But we receive from him like a child. We submit to him like a child. We're ready to obey him like a child. We're aware that he knows best like a child. We look for guidance from him like we are children. We look for his protection, his care, his supplication, his love, his discipline. Like a child looks to a father. He is in heaven. We should know this, right? I'm just kind of uh, summarizing all of this. He is in heaven. He's above us. He's higher than us. He's who's running the universe. He's authoritative. He's reliable. He's powerful. He's strong. He knows more than us. He sees more. He's not subjected to the things that we are subjected to, right? He's not influenced by the things we're influenced by. He sees angels and all saints are adoring him. And what we don't know, he knows. He has all wisdom that we don't have. Simple and very practical, right? Now, Matthew's account in this, it starts with our 
right? So this is a plural pronoun. So when we pray, our mind and our heart should begin with the fact that God is our Father collectively, right? Our collective Father. For those who have believed, we are children of God. John 1.12, look at this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So listen, this is important, okay? Not everyone in the universe is a child of God, okay? Not everybody in the universe is a child of God, but those who have received Christ, as this passage tells us, who've believed in his name, he gave them the right, the privilege, the position to be children of God. It's not simply those who are born in the flesh, which is everybody, but those who have been born of God, which the Bible calls born again, right? That's why the Bible says, uses the term born again, okay? This is the new birth, John 3, 3 through 8. Look at this. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter this a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God right? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who has been born of, of the spirit. And then so listen, what a privilege it is to be a child of God, one who the spirit has caused to be born of God. Open eyes, repent of sin, die to self, and now live for Christ with my sins forgiven, seeking to, to live for him. First John 3 says this, what, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called, what? Children of God, and so we are, right? The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. If you're in Christ, you're God's child now, Right? And so this is what he says, or look at, for those who are in Christ, we're no longer children of wrath, as Ephesians 2 says, look, among uh, whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and we're by nature, by our nature, by our natural self, we are children of what? Wrath, like the rest of mankind. And we're no longer also children of the devil, where John 8 says, and you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. But instead now, we are children of God. So those who have believed in Christ are children of God. And so furthermore, in Matthew's account, he starts with our. Listen, so when we pray, when you pray, our mind and our heart should begin with the fact that God is our father collectively. Stay with me on this. For those who believe in our children of God, that means he cares for all of us. Listen, he cares for all of us. That means when I pray, I want the good of all of us. Right? I don't have to just think about me and me getting what I want. I shouldn't be manipulative to ensure that I win, frantically demanding or proud. I should entrust myself 
and be humble to God as my collective, as our collective father. I should pray with an open hand and think about the whole because I love the whole. I should pray to benefit the whole, right? Because I care for everybody as and he cares for everybody as their father. What does this mean? It's okay when you pray to let go, let go. And open your hand and pray for the greater good, even if it doesn't benefit you. Right? And it should, we should find rest and peace in contemplating that. When I pray and I think about just doing it with an open hand, no pride here. And I think about it benefiting the whole community of God. There's so, such joy in that. So I'm going to pray and God, you're going to do things and I'm probably not going to see most of them, but it's going to be for your glory. It's an, oh, we need you, Father. It's not me centered Christianity, not like a child who wants their brothers or sisters to constantly lose so they can win. Right. Because they think only by others losing can I win. Right. That's immaturity. That's pride. You're not seeing the whole picture. Right. There's so much joy in an hour version of Christianity, especially in prayer. I'm just happy that, God, you reign, that you are experienced, or your other children need you. This helps our prayers not to be me-centric or me-selfish or viewing myself as God's favorite child. I know you think you are. Right? Just kidding. It's humble. And then it says, our Father, so our Father, who is in heaven. So like Isaiah 55, 9 says, for as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. Our Father is currently in heaven. This gives me reverence and humility and submission and dependence so now, Father, which remember is the essential category of this in Luke's abbreviated version. We got our, we got in heaven, we got Father. It corresponds to the Aramaic Abba, as I told you. Um, Romans 8 tells us, you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry what? Up a father. Galatians 4 says the same thing. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit into your hearts, crying, what? So, even later on in this passage, look at Luke chapter 11, the one that you have in front of you, and jump down um, to uh, verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then those who are evil know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who, who ask him? This is the Father picture. He's teaching his disciples how to pray, and as they're asking him, Jesus to, chooses to begin like this. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, right? This is how Jesus prayed. You must, of course, know this because you've seen this gospel over and over again, and you've probably read a lot of other Portions of the Gospels, right? This is Jesus's favorite designation for, for God, Father, right? 
And Jesus is breaking this down for them. He's simplifying it because they're watching him. And he chooses to start out like this. We see evidences of Jesus doing this. How about John chapter 12? Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but this pur- for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Or how about Matthew 26, 39? And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, my what? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. I won't read, I'm not going to read it, but I just referred to it. You can watch, look at it later. John chapter 17. It's called the high priestly prayer normally, right? John 17 verses 1 through 26, the whole chapter. It's Jesus's longest prayer that you see recorded. And you can see, I mean, just go through that in your time when you leave here today. And just notice how many times he calls God Father, right? So this is what Jesus is is saying. The goal in the church, Jesus is teaching his disciples, the goal of a disciple is that you would launch your prayers by saying our Father who is in heaven. That would be the first seed. That would be the essential element that will blossom into fruitful, intimate, heartfelt, meaningful, effective prayer. So let me give you an example. We're going to close here in just a a few minutes. When you start out this way, you think about our, you could spend five or 50 minutes on that. Think about who is in heaven. The fact that your father God is in heaven, you could spend five or 50 minutes on that. And then, but the essential element, God being your father, you can spend five or 50 minutes in that. This is the first seed that blossoms as you pray it, right? So in addition to what all I've said, let me give you some, uh, some examples. You can notice, for instance, that God is only the father um, of those who receive Christ, as we've mentioned. So you could pray for him to become the father of those around you. Right. As you're also as you're relating to him as father, knowing he's who you need. He's the protector. He's the provider. He's the helper for you. He's, he loves you. He's committed to you, et cetera, et cetera. In Christ, you could also say, man, he, he, you're God. Just as I'm praying right now, it's in my mind that you're, you're the only you're only the father of those who have who have trusted in, in Christ. Please become the father of the people around me, my neighbor, my friend. Right. You could pray for him to become the father of of those in your family, for them to enter into the family of God, that God would become their father. You could also pray and notice that you're his child and and speak to him like you have need like a child. You could also pray for your children, right? Although you try to be the most godly father you can be, God is who they need, right? They need their heavenly father, who can shepherd them and love them in ways that you can't, Dad. Like, this is who they need, right? In a way that you could never do that. You don't know what they need, right? Or what will be most valuable for them for all of eternity. Or you can pray that fatherly discipline comes to those who are around you and are straying from Christ. Because a father disciplines those who he loves. Right. That's okay. It's not like you're wishing uh, ill will towards them permanently. God, bring about your fatherly discipline for them. 
because I want them to return to you. They're going to cause destruction if they keep wandering for themselves. Because look at Hebrews chapter 12. For it's, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is, teaching, is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? <laughs> if you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we could pray that he would make us, he would cause us to come back. Or we could pray that he would make us a more holy father like he is. God, I've tried. I don't know how to do this. But in all of this, it's incredibly practical. We pray to God as our Father who is in heaven to start. Now, one last point I will make, and, uh, and this is kind of your homework, okay? Yeah, you got homework today, children of God. I will tell you um, that this method will fail. This method will fail if you are not informed by the scriptures, okay? Meaning this, if you are not informed in your praying but by the word and what it says about our, like God's care for his church, or not informed about what the scriptures say is God is our father and what kind of father he really is, and how he interacts with his children, if you're not informed by the implications of him being in heaven from what the scripture says, but instead um, these prayers are blossoming from your own thoughts about what a father would be like and your own thoughts about how he loves us all and your own thoughts about what heaven is and what that means for him to be in, in heaven, your experiences can't comprise the content of your prayers merely. It has to be by truth. They will not align with his will and they won't be informed about what he says or what you won't be informed about what the Father says. So you, you gotta let this sink in. You, you gotta be saturated in the scriptures to pray, to pray rightly. If not, you're just gonna pray selfishly, right? So here's a bit of homework. Go home and take the facets of this first seed. Father being the real essence of this first seed. Our in heaven, Father, and search the scriptures. Write down all the aspects that you can see in the scriptures. Collect all the verses about him caring for the entire family, our. Collect all the verses you can about God's fatherly character, him being protector, provider, etc. Collect all the verses you can about him being in heaven and, and what the implications are of that. And do this so that when you pray, our Father in heaven, your mind will have reference to what's true. I pray that this week, all that you would focus on is that you would pray this whole week. Your week would be full of you praying, our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And God, we ask that you would teach us as you've taught the disciples, 
and that we would leave today praying, and this week, praying, our Father in heaven. The whole week, we would relate to you as our collective Father and all the implications that you being our Father has, knowing that you're in heaven. Oh, what a church we would have if we all spent this week and our time and prayer being focused on this. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.